Good evening, everyone. We're gonna start our service tonight with reading from John chapter 18 and 19. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, he is not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters and asked him again, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, if you release this man, you are not a, not a friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down in the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What, crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priests shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. 
So they took Jesus away. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here for our Good Friday service, our second Good Friday service today as we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross over 2,000 years ago. My name is Adam. If you're new here, thanks for joining us today. We're so glad that you are here with us. Um, oftentimes, we think of our services in terms of celebration and joy, but we also don't wanna look past the fact that what we're remembering is is really a tragic event in some ways, but a glorious event in other ways. And we'll try to keep that in mind tonight. We're also going to do things a little bit differently tonight in terms of a service. It's gonna be a change from the norm, but I'll get into that a little bit later. First of all, let me start off with a little bit of an illustration. Uh, there was a girl named Samantha. She was always very busy, running around, lots to do, and it got so much worse the day she met Max. Um, she loved Max, and Max was a charming, wonderful, sweet individual, um, but Max could also be very demanding. And Samantha found herself doing all these extra things to try to keep Max happy, making delicious meals and buying gifts and doing everything to care for Max in every way that she could, thinking that this would somehow cause Max to love her more. But she was sadly mistaken, and the more she did to serve Max, the more demanding Max became of her and of her time and of her goodness. And one day she was talking with a friend, and she said, I don't know what's going on. I keep doing all these things for him, but he just doesn't seem to reciprocate. He doesn't love me the way that I love him. And her friend goes, it seems like you're doing way too much for this guy. And she goes, what can I say? I love cats. And she was talking about her cat, Max, that she served with all of her heart in every way she could. 
And for some reason, Max never loved her back in the same way. Now, the reason I can tell that story that way is because I'm not a cat person. And so from my perspective, dogs have masters and cats have servants. And you exist to serve your cat. And when they feel like it, they will give you a little bit of affection. I know that's if you're a cat person, you're like, no, that's not it at all. I can train my cat or whatever. I don't know. If I were a dog person, I'd have to write the story completely differently. The point is that we often find ourselves serving things in a lot of ways that we don't expect. We have masters that we don't realize. We have kings that we serve in a way that we don't often realize. And this happens with all sorts of things in our lives. It happens with money. And, and you can get to the point where you just live to make more money. And everything you do is about making more and more money. Uh, you can be this way with fame. Some people, all they care about is their follower count online or, or they want to be famous for something. They want to be famous as a musician or a celebrity or, or some kind of actor or whatever it is, maybe in politics. Um, or speaking of politics, for some people, it's all about power. I want to have lots of power in life and authority and be able to control things. Or maybe that's a business thing. Like I want to rise as far as I can in this corporate ladder to make sure that I am the one in control. I have power. And so everything they do is to serve that goal for power. For some people, it's the idea of pleasure. And so everything I do, I, I live to make myself happy, to enjoy life in different ways. And I will, I will go out of my way to make sure that I am happy, even if maybe it you know, hurts other people or, or isn't everything I should be doing right now. I'll sacrifice in other areas because I serve that master of pleasure in my life. For most people, it's a combination of those types of things. Money, fame, power, pleasure. Convenience is another one. We can live for convenience where everything is about being, having convenience in our lives. What I want to talk about tonight is what it looks like for Jesus to be the king of every area of your life. For you to have no other king but Jesus. It's not going to be a long message, and it's actually going to be broken up into a couple of different parts here, but I want to talk about what it looks like for Jesus to be your king. In the passage that I read at the beginning of this service, the words king or kingdom are mentioned 12 different times in there. It's a major theme of that passage. And Pilate wanted to know if Jesus was claiming to be the next king of the Jews. And why do you think that would be so important to him? Well, because if you're coming from a Roman perspective, if you've got a guy that's claiming to be the next king of the Jews, then there is a revolt that is coming. Another revolt that is coming. Another guy that wants to be king. Another guy that's going to lead an army, an insurrection to try to rebel against Rome. And so Pilate's very concerned about this. And he wants to know, are you going to be a king? Now, you don't see that in the book of John. The gospel that I read earlier was John chapters 18 and 19. John doesn't make that clear. You have to go over to Luke. And Luke tells you why Pilate thought this. In fact, let's go there for a minute. Luke chapter 23, verse 1. says, then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. They began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. So question for you, were their accusations true? Were their accusations true? There's no wrong answer here because yes is correct and no is correct. One accusation is right. One accusation is wrong. Was he claiming to be the Messiah? Yeah. Did the prophecies say that the Messiah would be a king? Absolutely. It'd have a kingdom that would reign forevermore. Did Jesus say not to pay your taxes? I'm sorry to say no, he did not. He did just the opposite of that. And he said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to 
God, what is God's? And so he actually encouraged people to pay their taxes. So there was some lie and there was some truth here. And Jesus didn't bother to defend himself about the taxes thing. That accusation, he didn't, he didn't worry about that. He knew that his purpose was to die soon. And so he didn't make an attempt to, to give himself a defense that would let him off the hook. He didn't say anything about that at all. He just answered Pilate about the kingdom. And here's what he said in John 18, 36. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now, you may remember that one of Jesus' followers did try to fight to keep Jesus from being handed over, and Jesus stopped him. He stopped Peter. Why? Because Jesus knew, this is my time. I need to be captured. I need to be arrested. I need to be tortured. I need to be put to death in a very public way so that there can be hundreds of witnesses that see this and can verify that I really did die and then come back to life. That was the whole plan. Crucifixion is the closest you can get to a nationally televised execution. It's the only way you could verify that Jesus really did die. I used to wonder, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Couldn't Jesus die peacefully in his sleep for my sins? Wouldn't that have been a nicer way to go? But then it'd be an easy thing to fake. Then there'd be no public display for tens of thousands of people to be able to verify and say, yes, he really did die. And so Jesus doesn't want his followers to keep him from being arrested. He doesn't want his followers to keep him. He's not trying to make a case for himself. Why does he respond to Pilate the way he does? It's, it's not because he's trying to get off the hook. He knows he needs to die and in a very public and therefore painful way. And so all he'll tell Pilate is my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's not of this world. It's interesting that the claim was he says that he's the Messiah, a king. The prophecy said the Messiah would be a king. Satan knew that Jesus would be a king. Satan knew that the Messiah was going to be the king of kings. And so at one point in time, Satan offered Jesus a different kingdom. Satan actually tried to bargain with him and say, yes, yes, king of kings, absolutely. But why don't we change the location of that kingdom? Why don't we make that my kingdoms? This is in Matthew chapter four, when Satan is tempting Jesus. He says the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Now, just for a moment, think to yourself, what would you do if someone that you'd never met before, but was very well dressed, showed up and said, look, you've never heard of me, but I'm actually the richest person in the world. I pay to keep myself off that Forbes list. And I would like to offer you more money than the combined worth of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. And you can have that. I mean, I want you to bow down and worship me, but you can have that. Wouldn't that be tempting? Have you ever daydreamed and thought, what would it be like to just have unlimited resources? Money is so, so great that I, I can't even use it all. I couldn't even begin to use it all. Imagine what that would be like. That's kind of what Satan was offering Jesus here. And it's so crazy to me that 
that Satan would even think he could tempt Jesus in this way, right? Because with what is destined for Jesus, and we all know this from the other side of the story now, we see what's going to happen. But at this moment in time, Satan is literally thinking, I might be able to get him off course with this. Why? Well, there is that whole thing of the crucifixion coming up. There is that horrible, painful death. There is that separation from God as the sins are placed on him. And we know that Jesus didn't want to go through that. We know that he... He cried and wept in agony over what he was going to experience. And so when you think about it, this is Satan saying, what do I have to offer this guy to derail this plan? What can I do to make sure that he's not going to go through with this, which is going to put an end to me? He offered him everything he had. All the kingdoms of the world, they can be yours. You can be the king of kings. You're just under me. You're the king of kings, but I'm the king of the king of kings is what Satan wanted, is what he offered to Jesus all you have to do is worship me bow down and worship me and what did Jesus say in response Matthew 4 10 he says get out of here Satan for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him and serve only him now what Satan asked for was to bow down and worship and what Jesus rejected was to worship and serve Because there's a connection between what you worship and what you serve. Worship is the idea of worth. What do you give worth to? Value. I attribute worth to this thing. And that's what I worship. I worship the thing that I value and give worth to. But I also serve that thing. In fact, you can tell what you really worship by what you serve. You can tell what you really worship by what you spend your time and your resources on. You might say you worship Jesus. But do you show that you worship Jesus by what you serve? Jesus sees there is a connection between those two. If we look at what you spend your time on, if we look at what you spend your resources on, do we see a connection there and say, obviously, you attribute worth to Jesus. You attribute worth to him as your king. Or is it other things that we focus our time, our energy, our efforts, our resources on? Tonight's service is all about reminding us That Jesus is the king of kings and he is the king of our hearts. And he needs to be the king of every aspect of our lives. I want to talk more about that in a little bit. But I said we're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. And here's what I mean. We're actually going to next move into a time of taking the Lord's Supper, taking communion together. We're going to start off that way to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Then we're going to follow that with a little bit of time, more time talking about what does it look like for the Jesus that died for you to be the king of every area of your life. And we're gonna end our service with a worship concert, with a time of praise and worship. And so we're kind of flipping the order of the service on its head. We're starting with this instead, and we're actually gonna end with a time where based on Jesus' sacrifice, based on how that changes our lives, based on him being the king of everything, now we praise and we worship him together. And so that's the roadmap for tonight. And I hope that you'll leave here encouraged, reminded of what Jesus did for you, and maybe just a little bit changed with a renewed sense of understanding of how Jesus wants to be the king of your life. Let's start by praying now as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper and our service can come up during this time. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you paid so that we could be free so that we could live differently on this earth, so that we could be a part of your kingdom. And for you, God, to come down to this earth 
and live as one of us and endure the cross, such an agonizing death for us. You didn't have to do it. You chose to redeem us. And we thank you and we praise you for being a a merciful and gracious God who would do that for us. And we remember what you did and, and how every day we make mistakes We sin in our our thoughts, our words, our actions. I certainly do. And it reminds me of how you paid for all of that. Not so I can keep doing it, but so that I can confess it to you and know that you'll forgive it and know that I have a home with you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did, for what you gave, for your sacrifice. Help us to, to experience it and remember it now, not just as a tradition or a ritual that we do, but in a way that reminds us of the great lengths you went to show us your love, to make sure that it was public, to make sure that it was memorable, to make sure that there were so many witnesses who could say, yeah, I really saw him up there lifeless. And then I saw him risen again. So we thank you, Jesus. And and we worship you now by following your instructions, doing exactly what you commanded us to do. And in Jesus' name we pray. We're going to distribute the elements to you now. And if you're new here, I want to explain how we do it. We'll pass trays in the rows. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, just let it pass by you. There's no reason to participate in this unless you are truly committed to Jesus Christ. Uh, But if you're going to participate with us, take a stack of cups. The bottom cup has the bread, which we'll take first. The top cup has the juice, which we'll take last. And now, as we're passing out the elements, would be a great time to pray and ask God to search your heart and reveal any area where maybe you've been holding on to it too tightly or operating in a way that does not reflect Jesus as your king. And then we'll talk a little bit more about that after communion.
believe all have been served, so let's partake of the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 14. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, for this is my body. Let's take the bread together. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Let's take the cup together. You can hold on to those cups for now. We'll collect them at the end of this message as we get into our worship time. Now I want to continue for a minute to talk a little bit more about what it means for Jesus to be the king of every area of our lives. Because Jesus didn't just save you from something, he saved you for something. That's a phrase you may have heard before. But a lot of times when we think about that, we think of what he saved us for in the future, for eternity, for home in heaven, for for the future perfect unity with God. But the reality is he also saved you for something else, to be a part of God's kingdom now so that he can be your king now. He saved you from something, that's your sin and the consequences of your sin. He saved you for something in the future, that's the hope of eternity, but he also saved you for your life with him now, which is a life that is meant to be filled with joy and happiness and Jesus being a part of your life, even though there'll be times that are difficult and times that are filled with struggle, He is there to be your king with you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, we read this earlier, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So I wanna talk a little bit here about what it means to serve only God, or really to serve Jesus as your king. What does that look like? I mentioned earlier a lot of different ways that we serve things and we may not even always realize what we're doing. Money and material possessions and convenience and and other people and, and pleasures in life and things like that. Fame, power. We can serve all these things and make them our king. Well, what would it look like if we were to actually make Jesus our king, but not get rid of all those things? Throughout the centuries, there have been people, religious people, who thought that they would be extra spiritual by removing some of those things from their lives entirely. And maybe for certain things, there, there are good reasons for that, especially if you have an addictive tendency with something to remove something entirely. But all of the things that I've mentioned, they're not necessarily good or bad things intrinsically. They can be tools used for good or, or used for not so good. And so what would it look like for every area of your life, even that closet you've kind of kept closed and you haven't let the Bible and Jesus touch that as much? What would it look like for every area of your life? to be able to say, Jesus is my king. And by the way, that's a lifelong pursuit. I'm not there yet. I was realizing that this week as I was studying for this message. I'm not there yet, but it's a lifelong pursuit for us to open all the doors and pull up all the rugs and look at all the cracks and say, is Jesus the king of this part of my life? So let's do some thought experiments here. What would it look like for Jesus to be the king of our finances, of our money? Well, it would 
probably mean that would be a lot more generous, recognizing that none of it's ours anyway. It all comes from God. He has allowed us to have what he's allowed us to have. It's all his resources. He owns everything anyway. And so he has given us this as, as a steward to manage, not as an owner to have forever. We can't take it with us in the end, no matter how much we accumulate. You've heard me say before, if you've been through any of our series on money, that man's economy and God's economy function in two different ways, almost with two different currencies, but they are connected and there's an exchange rate. The Bible says that you can actually use your earthly money to store up treasure in heaven. There are good things you can do with your money that are of eternal value. It's not that they're completely disconnected from each other. So if Jesus is the king of your finances... It probably means you're not going to view all of your money as being just yours to keep and hoard and spend on whatever you want, but it's, it's to give and it's to bless and it's to manage well and responsibly as the Bible teaches us to. You know, there's nothing wrong with having material things in the world and possessions. In fact, God worked through some of the most wealthy people in, in biblical history and in human history who were godly people. Not perfect by any means, but godly people. Abraham, for one thing, was one of the wealthiest men in the world in his time. He had incredible wealth and resources and possessions. And it's not that those possessions were necessarily the problem. The possessions are only a problem if they possess you. Do you have things or do those things have you? So who are you serving? Are you serving the possessions? What does this look like? Well, some people, their number one thing in life is to serve their cars or to serve their clothes to serve their wardrobe rather and add to it or watches or whatever else it may be. There's possessions that we value and treasure and we, we spend all of our time on that. And so if you were to evaluate what you serve in life and someone were to look at that objectively, they might say, okay, what you attribute the most worth to for you is these things right here that you possess, not necessarily the Savior. What does it look like for Jesus to be the king of your possessions? Well, it means they take a back seat. Not that it's wrong to have them, but they take a back seat. You know, there's nothing wrong with having people that are very important to you and that you serve and that you love and that you care for, but it's possible for a person to take the place of Jesus as the one that you serve preeminently, as effectively your king that you serve. And Jesus wants us to serve other people. He wants us to love and care for other people. But for Jesus to be the king of your relationships and the king of how you interact with other people, that means that the reason you serve them may, might be different. It might not be to make you feel good, or it might not be even out of guilt that you serve this person, but it's because you've been redeemed by Jesus who wants you to go and spread God's love in the world. And so it's an extension of God and his grace into the world that you serve other people. And you do it as his representative, as his ambassador. You serve others because you're also serving the king. That's how Jesus can be the king of your relationships. God designed this world to be a very enjoyable one, a very pleasurable one. There are lots of wonderful things to enjoy in this world. Chief among them, chocolate. I mean, chocolate is wonderful. I recently went through uh, some, some awful sickness that many of you are aware of. And as a result of that, there are some things now that I can't eat because it would make me sick again. There are some things that I can't eat because of the association with the sickness. Have you ever had something like that? Like growing up, my 
parents, whenever I was sick, it was, it was ginger ale. That's what you have when you're sick. And I don't want to touch that stuff today because it just makes me think of sickness and the symptoms involved. And now, having gone through what I just did the last couple of months, for me, what I really don't care for at this point, which is tragic, is hot coffee. I just, I can't, it reminds me of a, of a, it's got a terrible association for me of some really awful symptoms. And so I found a workaround, which is to put ice cubes in it and a lot of chocolate. And that makes it delightful. And so every day now I have an iced mocha and it's fantastic and it's pleasurable. And as long as I'm not serving that, then that's fine. You think about the world around you that God made, the beauty that's in nature and the beauty that's in art and, and the fact that, you know, God created the world with all of its design so that we can experience music, the music that we had earlier today, the music that we're going to have later tonight, which you are going to love. It's going to be so enjoyable. There's nothing wrong with it. That's wonderful. As long as all of those pleasures in life are put in subservience to the king, not in replacement of him. And so often we idolize the things that bring us pleasure and we choose those over anything else. And so Jesus as king gets replaced by whatever this pleasure is as king and that takes priority. The same thing is true for convenience. I love a microwave as much as the next person. In fact, I think if Jesus were to come today, he would definitely be microwaving food because that gives him more time to be out and ministering to the people. It's a spiritual thing. Convenience can be wonderful. We love fast lanes and we love microwaves and we love things that save us time. And that is great. But convenience can also be an idol to us. Convenience can be something that we serve. We can choose to do something because it's convenient instead of doing a thing that might be more challenging or more time consuming, but it's better. It's biblical. It's what we know God wants us to do. Sometimes in the name of convenience, we, we say no to a lot of things that we know God actually wants us to do and to be a part of. But it's not convenient for us right now, whether it's reading the Bible or prayer or, or being with God's people in the church or, or being in community with people. We, we do that here through groups. But there are those things that God designed us for and designed us to do. And sometimes it's just not convenient. So we say no to it. And so we serve convenience instead of the king of kings. If Jesus is the king of your schedule then convenience will sometimes take a back seat to what you know he wants you to do. If Jesus is the king of your reputation, then you're not going to worry as much about it for your own purposes. And instead, you're going to view your reputation, your fame, your influence, whatever it is, as an opportunity to represent Jesus in that space, to be an ambassador for him. And a lot of times we don't think that way. We, we like to separate our lives. We've got our church life. We've got our social life. We've got our work life, our school life for some of us. We have these different places and we want to be prominent in those places. Many of us, not all of us, but some of us, we want to rise in the ranks. We want to be known. We want to be recognized. But is it just so that we can be recognized? Is it just to fuel our ego? Is it just so that we can feel better or we can get a better position, more pay, whatever it is? Or are we leveraging whatever influential position we have to be an ambassador for Christ in that space. There's nothing wrong with being famous. And there's some very lovely people who are celebrities and very famous who have, who've maintained a close walk with Jesus and represent him in the world. And that's not an easy thing to do. 
the tempting thing to do and the thing that most people end up doing is to end up worshiping their own fame. But we worship and serve the King of Kings. Consider every area of your life. Jesus did not just die on the cross so that you could go spend eternity in heaven. That's part of it. He also died on the cross so that you could be a part of his kingdom now, so that he could be your king now, so that your life could be different now. And by the way, his ways are just so much better. He doesn't give us lots of guidelines and rules because he wants to keep us from doing things that are fun. He gives us guidelines and rules that keep us from consequences that are going to hurt us down the road. And, and sooner or later, you find out that if you live life God's way, if you follow the teachings of Jesus, the way he taught us to live, life is going to be so much sweeter and rewarding and satisfactory. But even that's not the goal. The goal is to worship and serve only God. Jesus is our king of kings, and we should have no other. We're going to talk a lot more about this on Sunday. I hope you'll join us for Easter. Right now, what I want to invite you to do, we're going to pray, and then we're just going to spend the rest of our time worshiping God. As we do that, can I encourage you, don't just go through the motions and sing the words. Really think about what they mean and think about whether or not you can sing this as a proclamation from you. Whether you can actually say, yes, I believe this about Jesus and I believe this about God and I want him to be king of every part of my life. And maybe as we do this, maybe God's going to bring something into your mind, something that you have kind of kept from his kingship. And he's going to reveal that to you so that you can leave here tonight and say, you know what? I need to make a change here. I need to surrender this part of my life to Jesus because he hasn't been king of that area because I haven't allowed it to happen. And I hope that that's the outcome for many of us tonight. But either way, I know that we can spend some time just praising our king together. So I want you to bow your heads with me. Let us pray and then let us worship and then let's go serve. Jesus, you are our king. And we love you and we're thankful for you. And I want to be the first one to admit that I do not serve you the way I should. You are not always the king of kings of every area of my life. You haven't even been this week. And that's because of my own shortcomings. And I know that that's a lifelong process. But I'm so thankful that you tell us if we confess our sin to you, you will always forgive us and then you will cleanse us. And so God, there are areas in my life and areas probably in everybody's lives here and watched online right now where we need you to come in and cleanse us we need you to expand your kingdom into those areas, Lord. We want to submit those to you, God. Whatever that is, it's probably different for different people here. But I pray that you would reveal to us what they are so that we would know. And then may we have the humility to say, yep, I'm willing to make a change in that spot. I'm willing to stop doing that. I'm willing to start doing this. I'm willing to change my priorities. I'm willing to shift my schedule. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that Jesus really is the king of every area of my life. We have no other king but you, Jesus. And we worship and praise you now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.